No uh, adult supervision tonight. <laughs> Everything is possible now. I'm uh, actually going to try to give a serious Dharma talk. So uh, I want to build on what uh, Rebecca talked about yesterday, the gratification, the danger, and the escape of sense pleasure, but the way I'd like to look at it tonight is from the angle of feeling tone. And uh, feeling tone has been mentioned a lot in the last uh, few weeks uh, in the morning questions, and there hasn't been a talk given on the subject, but it's kind of there almost all the time. It's it's somewhere around the questions, for me anyway. Uh, I could feel it uh, a lot of the time. The Buddha said, all things converge on feelings. So, what are feelings? Just uh, so we're on the same page. Uh, The feeling tone in Buddhism is something very precise. It's It's not an intuition, like when I have a feeling, or it's not a touch, like when I feel something. It's um, it's this very precise um, thing that comes out of the contact with the world. So I find myself here. I'm not quite sure why, but I know that I know what's going on. There is consciousness. There is a Mind and matter, there's a body, a mind. There is a six senses. And with this, uh, these senses, I, I contact the world. I'm impacted by the world. And so this contact between, let's say, the I... And the light and form is almost like a pressing, something that presses. And the juice that comes out is what we would call uh, the feeling tone. So it's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So it's always presented like this, like three, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The reality of things, of experience, it's, it's a, whole, a whole range. We know that when something is slightly irritating, mm-hmm. as when something is clearly unbearable. And on the other sense, uh, when some, something is quite nice, and then something is like, whoa, really nice. You know? So that's the, that's the whole range. And then the in-between thing. It's also both mental and physical. So on the body, it's experienced as uh, pain or pleasure. And in the mind... You could say it's uh, rather pleasant or unpleasant. There's, I read different teachings around that, and, and uh, somewhere I read that uh, it said that um, uh, only touch, the physical sense, can experience pain and uh, pleasure. That sight, sound, taste and smell don't have inherently in them pain or pleasure. It's more what we make of them, the perception. For example, if you think of uh, a dog sees 
a bone. I see a bone. The experience of pleasant and unpleasant might be extremely different. I see a Picasso painting. A dog sees a Picasso painting. So you can see that it's not in the the object itself. It's in the encounter of the outside world with the inside world, pressing one against another, and then there's a juice that comes out, and that is the feeling tone. In the teachings, um, Miyoshin, I think last week, talked about the feeling tone because it's one of the five aggregates. Uh, One of the five, uh, I think of the five rivers of what makes a human being. There's a river of feelings constantly. This arises with each experience. It's relentless. There is never a moment where there is no feeling. It might be hard to catch, sometimes because of the neutrality of the feeling tone, but it's there all the time, so it's a stream, it's a river. So one of the rivers of being a human is the feeling tone constantly. Torture, pleasure, irritation, um, All the range is constantly happening. And uh, so let's talk about Dhammadina. At the time of uh, the Buddha, uh, there was a man, his name was Visaka. He was a rich uh, merchant from uh, Rajagaha, I think. Is that the name of and uh, and uh, uh, one night he came home, back home, after work, as uh, every other night. So I can imagine him coming in, putting his briefcase next to the door. And uh, his wife was waiting for him uh, in the doorway. And he just passed her, didn't look at her. And uh, so... She was a little intrigued because it was unusual from, from him, but she didn't, she didn't do anything about it. She served the meal, dinner, and maybe shepherd's pie. And uh, he ate, and he didn't even invite her to sit, which was the, the thing he would have done usually. She would have served, and he would have said, would you join me? He didn't, and he ate alone. And after, she said, Honey, what's going on? And uh, he said, I just, I had a very strange day. I met this man. He's called the Buddha. And he gave me some teaching. And life is not going to be the same anymore. I'm going. And you can have everything. because he showed me the way uh, out of this human predicament. I'm not totally done, so I want to follow him. So you can have everything. It's all yours. And she could sense that there was something going on, so she said, No, thanks. I'm going too. I want out of this human predicament. And uh, so he gave her a lift to the nunnery. (laughs) And and she didn't stay very long in the nunnery. I think she went in the woods and she she was really, uh, she had lots of determination and, and so... And so she, she went through the whole teaching. She, she went through the very end to liberation. So after, she was a little intrigued about uh, 
what had happened to Visaka, her ex-husband. So she went to check on him. And he was about done, but not completely done. He was up to non-returner, which is like the last stage of the fourth stage of uh, uh, liberation in this uh, tradition. And uh, they had a conversation. And he, uh, a monk's, that's a, like a little part of the conversation. He said to her, what obsession gets obsessed with pleasant feeling? What obsession gets obsessed with painful feeling? What obsession gets obsessed with neither pleasant nor painful feeling? And she says, passion, obsession, gets obsessed with pleasant feeling. Resistance, obsession, gets obsessed with painful feeling. Ignorance, obsession, gets upset with neither pleasant nor painful feeling. So, we know that, don't we? We know that stuff, you know, the wanting, not wanting. But I still want to take a little look at it. Uh, there's a yogi who reported, uh, she was looking at the tree. It was a beautiful autumn tree with all the colors. And uh, then she turned around and went back to her walking. And then she noticed that she was actually thinking about uh, uh, knitting a sweater when she would finish retreat. It was an orange and yellow mixed uh, colors sweater. And she, she got it. There was so much beauty in the tree. There was a kind of a need to own. Unfortunately, you cannot own, especially if you come from Switzerland, you cannot possibly put back in your suitcase a whole tree. You know? So, so the mind, kind of desperate for keeping this going was devising, designing a sweater made of the same colors. So, so this wanting to keep um, the pleasant going. Also about... Uh, This, this obsession with pleasantness. Sometimes we sit and there's boredom or there's not much happening and then we find ourselves uh, in fantasy. So uh, pleasant in relation to uh, future. Uh, one time I was on retreat, I was sitting and then I noticed that I, was, uh, I, was, I had been gone for a number of minutes and I was thinking... Uh, that I should actually live in my car. It would solve a lot of my problems because I was going in different uh, retreat centers and monasteries and I thought like, that would be the first perfect mode of transportation. I would save on rent. I would have all my things together and like, live a very simple life. And, uh, and, the, the, you know, and, and it, it, would, it would be my little place and I would organize it. It would be easy to take care of, and I had images of like, yes, it would get broken, but I, you know, I would wait for the guy to fix it, and there would be a beautiful sun, and I would just practice while they were fixing my car. And, and I noticed that in all this uh, thing, there was only pleasantness. <laughs> like, uh, neutrality had been completely removed, and unpleasantness. And the mind will do that. That's, that's uh, you know, and then, uh, I mean, I didn't have to do much work to convince myself that it was a little crazy. But uh, I hear a yogi came also talking about wedding and moving to India to save the children of India uh, with his new wife. And, 
and this, the mind will do that, you know, like, uh, even if there is this century in the picture of the trip to India, it's, it's beautiful, you know, and we will go through this together, <laughs> you know. So it's interesting to watch how uh, uh, and in times in terms of past then it's it's uh what do we do with our memory really i have some memories that when i tell people when i think about they are so perfect again i removed all the uh, neutrality or the unpleasantness of it I remember an event being really, it was the perfect holiday, you know? And I, like I, I can see, it's almost hard for me to believe that I do that, but I have to look very closely and say, like, I am actually removing all the unpleasantness of this experience. Anyway, it's for, for you to maybe look also up. Um, in terms of aversion... Uh, uh, if I think of the past also, how much uh, time I can spend rehashing an unpleasant event, trying to remove the unpleasant of it, like, I should have said that. They said that. I should. Have. If I hadn't said that, they wouldn't have said, next time I'll say that. I can't believe they said that. Like I, I, I would like to fix, remove the unpleasant from the past. So my job is to come to term. Uh, I heard somebody say, give all hopes of a better past. And if I think of future and pleasant, and unpleasant, sorry, um, the amount of time one can spend in unpleasantness of fear and, uh, and, and, and fantasizing how bad this is going to be compared to the actual event that some, sometimes, like in the, let's say, let's take an example that is very close to me. The time I could spend uh, fearing a Dharma talk can be about uh, a week of uh, a few hours uh, a day of fearing a Dharma talk when the actual Dharma talk lasts an hour and is a really beautiful mix of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. So how, how is it for you in your experience? And to see that, to really uh, connect with that. Neutral is... Uh, it's difficult to see... One image that is, is used is uh, the one of a hunter that is uh, following the footprints of uh, a deer. And so it, it can follow the, foot, the footprints in the dirt and the sand. And then at some point, the deer gets on rocks and starts going up on rocks. And the hunter cannot find the traces of the deer anymore. So that's uh, the, as long as the deer is, uh, that's feeling tone that is moving. As long as the footprints are in the dirt, the pleasantness, let's say, or the unpleasantness, it's easy to follow. But then when it gets on the rocks, we lose sight of it. And we find it again later when it goes again on the grass. Or, uh, so one thing to, to, to do is to be aware of the end of the pleasantness or the end of the unpleasantness to know that, oh, we're moving in a new phase for a Maybe a few seconds. Uh, something else also I want to say about the uh, neutrality. It's very in- interesting. So in this conversation, uh, the Dhamma Dina has with um, Visaka, uh, at some point he says, in what way is pleasant feeling pleasant, lady, and in what way painful? And she says, 
That is very interesting. If you're going to tune in one place in this Dharma talk, maybe that's the good place. Pleasant feeling is pleasant in remaining and painful in changing. Friend Visaka. Painful feeling is painful in remaining and pleasant in changing. Neutral feeling is pleasant in occurring together with knowledge and unpleasant in occurring and painful in occurring without knowledge. Okay, what is that? She says, neutral feeling when unnoticed is unpleasant. Neutral feeling when noticed is pleasant. How interesting is that? So it means that when I'm not attentive, things don't stand out. It's, it's boring. Boring is slight aversion, very slight aversion. I'm not connecting, I'm not with stuff. So it's boring, I'm looking for something else, sense pleasure. But when I get attentive, then neutral becomes pleasant. I think we have all experienced this when uh, first the instructions are given about following the breath, let's say. And it's like, what a boring thing. It's a neutral object. But suddenly it's like, oh. It becomes interesting. It stands out. The floor is neutral. Unnoticed, it's boring. But then if I put my attention on the floor, I say, oh, different kind of color woods on the steps. It's orangey. In my mind, wood was brown. It's a little orangey. So suddenly there can be interest. It becomes pleasant to look at all the different patterns. Anyway, that's a rich thing to investigate. And for me, a link that I see in there is that um, peace is an acquired taste. So we'll report nothing is happening in my practice. And that also talks about our... uh, our uh, addiction to intensity. What would we choose really between uh, sitting in front of a closed TV on a Saturday night or uh, watch something that we would think of as pleasant for somebody is going to be a, a nice comedy, for somebody else is going to be the Dalai Lama teaching, the closed TV, or uh, news about the war uh, somewhere. You know, like, there's not much appealing in the closed TV. Anyway, for me, there's a whole area there of uh, research in terms of uh, neutral feeling and the potential that uh, it has. There's another conversation between a carpenter, the carpenter five tools, and uh, Reverend Udai. And they're they're actually having like a kind of a a little uh, fight over what the Buddha taught them. One says, no, there's three kinds of feeling. You know, it's, it's uh, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And the other one's like, no, 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 there's two kinds of feeling. No, there's three. I know I talked to the guy. No, 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 he told me there's two. And he says, uh, Carpenter Five Tools says, um, not three kinds of feeling, Reverend Udai, were taught by the Blessed One. It is two kinds of feeling that were stated by the Blessed One. Pleasant and painful feelings. The neutral feeling 
was said by the Blessed One to belong to peaceful and sublime happiness. That's interesting. So Ananda heard them fight. He went to see the Buddha. He said, well, one says that and the other says that. And the Buddha said, they're both right. There is three kinds of feeling and there are two kinds of feeling. And there are also six kinds of feeling. (laughs) And I want to talk a little bit about that. So if you take... No, 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 it's very easy. If you take pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, you can divide these in two groups and you, you get six. And the two groups are worldly and unworldly. So the worldly pleasant and the unworldly pleasant feelings. The, wor- the worldly unpleasant and the unworldly unpleasant. And then the same thing for neutral. So what is that? At the time of the Buddha, um, in the ascetic scene, in the ascetic milieu, there was this belief that um, self-inflicted pain was um, helping eradicate bad karma. It means if I hurt myself in some way, I inflict on myself painful feeling, I'm calling all my bad karma and I'm deciding how to use it and to use it quickly so I get to the end of my karma. That was the belief at that time. And so the, the Buddha went for that for a while. He, he tried that method and it was not uh, working out very, uh, very well. He was actually uh, getting extremely weak and putting his own uh, life on the line for this uh, spiritual search. And so... Um, One day he had this memory, and you might know this beautiful story of the rose apple tree. So he was thinking, something's not working here. That, you know, the end of this path that I'm on is death. You know, this path of self-mortification. There has to be another way to do this. And he kind of surveyed anything that he knew that he could uh, put his hand on that could be useful for him. And then he remembered one time... Um, when he was a kid uh, and there was a a plowing festival and his father was a king and he was there in the field uh, plowing the fields with the the, the farmers and he was sitting under a rose apple tree and in that moment um, that he remembered there was no uh, there was ease there was uh, contentment, satisfaction. There was not looking for something else. There was not uh, uh, wanting something else. There was not pushing something away. There was not. Um, there was none of the hindrances. There were. There were not the sluggish mind. There was not hyperactivity. There was just being under a tree probably a feeling that time has stopped and just everything being in order. And the mind was uh, unified. The mind was not split. There was no uh, scatteredness. The mind was all together, very present for what was happening. And he thought, this is not unwholesome. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. This might actually be the way out. And uh, that was the beginning of the middle path where we don't indulge uh, like he had done before as a prince in, uh, uh, you know, all the comfort of... I, in my mind, there's always this sex, drug, and rock and roll, you know? 
and there there was um, there was not the other extreme of self mortification. It was right in the middle. And so that that's uh, he went for that. And this was the unworldly pleasantness that start, started to show up for him. So he could not believe anymore that all pleasant feelings uh, were bad or unwholesome. And so uh, what are these unworldly uh, pleasant feelings? They're all the different things that have been talked about and we experience here on retreat. So... Uh, I'm thinking of Miyoshin's talk on the Ten Perfections just two nights ago. Generosity. Uh, sometimes it's called this, the, uh, not the unworldly, but spiritual uh, feeling tone. And it has, all of these have to do with renunciation. So the worldly ones are coming from the outside, from, for, from this, the, the gratification of the senses. And the unworldly one, they're coming from inside. So that's one way we can recognize them. Generosity is a, as a pleasantness that comes from the inside. Uh, renunciation. Contentment. What are the other parameters? The blamelessness. Patience, not patience like, you know, breathing your teeth through something, but the, pa- the deep, complete patience of acceptance. When we finally relax and let this be as it is, this, this is a pleasant feeling. It's the, the end of the fighting. I even think of energy. When the energy is right, when we're putting exactly the right amount of energy or the determination. Not the, the determination like this, but think of the opposite, when there's no determination, when there's like, I can't do this, or you know? But the other version, I'm going to do that. So these are some of the unworldly pleasant feelings. There's also the the unworldly unpleasant feelings. So what could these be? Sometimes there's this thing we call uh, spiritual regret, or when we see that we have done an action that was not uh, beneficial for us or others. It's not pleasant to feel but it's leading to the end uh, of trouble. So the unworldly is pointing to the progress on the path as opposed to the worldly being a kind of regress. The worldly would uh, help feel, uh, feed the defilements, create more of these tendencies of uh, obsession with passion and with irritation. The unworldly... Uh, yeah, would feed us on our uh, travel. So pity, uh, the, this rapture, this joyful interest somebody talked about in the seven factors of enlightenment. And this unworldly... Uh, uh, oops, I jumped from pleasant... To, uh, we were in unpleasant, sorry. So there's um, the shame, the spiritual sh- uh, shame or remorse um, there is the the suffering that leads to the end of suffering when we uh, there is irritation and we connect with it so we're not producing more of the same we're actually uh, feeding starving so it's unpleasant but it's uh, it's progress on the path And then the neutral. Um, that would come with uh, the equanimity. So the worldly, 
the unworldly. That's the six-fold uh, uh, way of looking at feeling tones. I'd like to look a little bit at feeling tones and, um, and point of view. That's an interesting little uh, area. So the, the general belief is that point of view... comes from uh, rational thinking, reason. And so the Buddha said, uh, take a good look to see if your views and opinions might not come from pleasant, unpleasant. And that, that's kind of um, not good news, you know. You don't want... <laughs> Like, I know that when I read that, I was like a little dejected that if I was going to find that it was right, I don't know, there there was something very small about that, you know, that my views that are so important, what I believe in, would be linked to pleasant and unpleasant. And... uh, so we can look, for example, in the, in the Buddhist teachings. There's a lot of things that are uh, said, uh, ideas that are presented. And often we will uh, have this conversation about what is the essence of the teaching and what is actually cultural that fit with the time of the Buddha and is not so relevant anymore. And when we look at this precisely, we begin to see that a lot of what we call cultural and dismiss is often things that are unpleasant or uncomfortable, that doesn't fit with our culture, and that the essence is often things that are uh, quite pleasant to think of. Uh, One example that uh, Joseph gave is is when we think... um, in the teaching, it says that it's better merit. It has uh, more potential when you give to somebody who's uh, liberated or noble on very much on their way to liberation. It's, there's more merit in this than to give to somebody else. And so I, 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 I think it's very... I, I, my view is that it's very important to give to people who are in need and that I'm not going to start asking questions and trying to find out how awake they are if there is somebody who needs some, something and there's a crisis somewhere in the world. So that's something I'm kind of uncomfortable with. So I, I can have the viewpoint and say, uh, oh, that was made uh, by the sangha, probably like the monastic. They, they, you know, they need requisite, so they probably said it's better to give to us. So they probably added this on the way, you know, to make sure that they would survive, you know, so people would give to them rather than to poor people in the street. I don't know, but this comes to to so to to look at at that or you know, to dismiss uh, the whole thing of rebirth because I was not raised like this. It's uncomfortable. So that's around the, the teaching, but um, we can apply it to pretty much anything. So, so I think I was raised with uh, the idea that the, the bathroom door should be open when there's nobody in the bathroom because you can see if there's somebody in the bathroom or not because the door is open. And uh, somebody else I live with think that it's more polite to close the door of the bathroom. It should be always closed. And so my viewpoint, is it based on reason, really, or it's based on, on it's uncomfortable. I was raised in a way, so it's, so it's unpleasant that, that the door is closed and I think there's somebody in the bathroom, and so I don't go to the bathroom and I find out half an hour later that there's nobody in the bathroom. The door was just closed, you know, and, and I really don't like that. 
So, so you know, so that's kind of a... You can find uh, other examples. Like one that I think of is like, I, I strongly uh, believe that... Uh, I, that peace uh, should be there in a place where there there's war. It's, okay, so that's getting a little edgy here. I I don't know how you felt when I said that. So that that this could be based on on a pleasant feeling. Well, I can see in me. This is the beginning of my research around that. But I can see that my wanting peace at my clinging to peace, my attempt, attachment to, to peace, that there should be peace over there, is actually, or is it, because it's extremely unpleasant to see the images that I see. So what I'm talking about now is not, is the attachment to this viewpoint of peace, feeling very strongly about it. Why? Because it's unbearable. So to look at this. And so one trick that uh, Buddha gave uh, was around... So you have a viewpoint. Just treat it as a normal event in the mind. So what you do is you put it in the little... uh, Four Noble Truths machine, grinder. And so is is there suffering here? Is there clinging? What is the cause of clinging? You know, so you apply apply the eight, you apply right concentration, right mindfulness, and you look at... Because sometimes viewpoints are kind of untouched. Opinions are, are left untouched. But we take them in and we also look, what is the suffering? Because ultimately, um, the viewpoints that we have, the opinions that we have, and sometimes it might happen here in the hall, you hear something from a teacher uh, giving a Dharma talk that you don't like, that you don't agree with, that you feel strongly about. It's either what they're saying or how they're saying it or their age maybe, or whatever it is. And the views we have, they should lead to a tranquil mind and they should lead to letting go for liberation to happen. So that's very important to look at this. Is this viewpoint that I'm uh, having is helping me right now uh, towards a calm mind or not. Yes, so... Uh, in conclusion, I would say, with feeling tone, we can keep it extremely simple. In the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, it's one of the four uh, foundations. Eh? So it's giving a, it's given uh, by the Buddha a whole chapter on the four chapter book. You know, it's it's uh, it could have easily put it. Uh, in body and mind, you know, like the the, the four foundation is uh, is the body, the attention to the body, the attention to feeling tone, the attention to mind and to mind object. Feeling tone would have been easy to place somewhere else, but he he made a whole area just for it, so it points to the importance of it. And the instructions are very very simple. And how monks, that, that's us tonight here. And how monks, does a monk live contemplating feelings? Here, when experiencing a pleasant feeling, knows, 
I experience a pleasant feeling. When experiencing a painful feeling, he knows I'm experiencing a painful feeling. When experiencing a neutral feeling, he knows I'm experiencing a neutral feeling. And then he goes on with the worldly and unworldly. When experiencing a worldly, pleasant feeling, he knows this is a worldly, pleasant feeling. So we start by noticing just maybe pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And then we can add the other part of worldly, unworldly. And I couldn't find the reference, but there was a, I read a few years ago, uh, there was the story of this monk who had been practicing for a very long time. And then he was, uh, we could say, tired of the practice and not achieving what he wanted to achieve, the freedom that he wanted. So he had this thought, I'm going to put all my attention on one place and one place only, and it's going to be on feeling tone. The determination was strong. And he went for it. Only that. And he was in the forest in Thailand. And he went only for that, noticing it. And within two weeks, the job was done. And that is because it was, it's so impermanent. So take just a little block of time and put your attention on pleasant. Uh, on pleasant. If you can do that as you, you go walking the loop. Just notice how it changed quickly. You know, it's beautiful. Oops, my, f- sh- you know, something in the the feet, uh, memory. Like it goes so fast. The whole experience goes. But if you just stay uh, on on feeling tone, it's very interesting. It, it changes very very quickly. Um, so that's the power that it can uh, it can have. And so I'll, I'll finish with the, the, the end of the conversation between uh, Damadina and uh, Visaka. And so he says, uh, Now what, lady, lies on the other side of pleasant feeling? Passion lies on the other side of pleasant feeling. And what lies on the other side of painful feeling? Resistance lies on the other side of painful feeling. What lies on the other side of neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. Ignorance lies on the other side of neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling. What lies on the other side of ignorance? Clear knowing lies on the other side of ignorance. And I would guess that's for a practitioner. What lies on the other side of clear knowing? Release lies on the other side of clear knowing. And what lies on the other side of release? Unbinding lies on the other side of of, uh, release. And then he says, what lies on the other side of unbinding? And then she goes, you've gone too far. That's what she said. You've gone way too far, friend Visaka. You can't keep holding on up... uh, to the limit of questions. So I'm not answering anymore. If you want to know the, the whole 411, go see the Buddha. He'll tell you. And so he goes see the Buddha, and he asks the Buddha, and the Buddha said, whatever she says, I would have said exactly the same thing, Visaka. Dhammadina is my foremost uh, nun in terms of teaching. And uh, this little thing about the neutral feeling when noticed and when unnoticed, for me, was really a, a 
turning point in my practice. And uh, it came from uh, Damadina, and and uh, and it, uh, through her, it came from a friend, uh, Andrea, who's a teacher who's going to be here uh, later. And so there's a special flavor for me because it uh, there's two uh, women practitioners that I respect who uh, gave this uh, teaching, and uh, I don't know, it's just nice. I like that. So, let's sit in silence for just a few uh, moments. Thank you again for your uh, for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.